Section 34 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bev Stevens. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 34, Chapter 25. Great Britain, Prostitution at the Present Time, Part 3. Keeping a brothel is, as we have said, an offence at common law. We have a computation of the number of offences of this kind, based upon every ten million of the population. In Middlesex it was two hundred and ninety-six, in Lancashire one hundred and eighty-three. Both counties include the most populous towns in England. Lancashire contains Manchester and Liverpool. This fact also is of little value, owing to the peculiar administration of the law on the subject. Remote or indirect injuries to the public safety are not noticed in England. The police may be well aware of crime meditated and planned, and of the haunts of crime, but the theory of public justice is cure, not prevention. Concealment of birth is an offence which, as it emanates from undue sexual intercourse, is generally associated with prostitution. In Hereford and other counties, the proportion of illegitimate births is 88 out of every thousand born, and there were 22 concealments to every thousand bastards. In four counties, the illegitimate births were 58 in a thousand, and the concealments 13 in a thousand illegitimates. In fifteen counties there were fifty-three illegitimates in every thousand births, and twenty-seven concealments to every thousand illegitimates. With the largest proportion of illegitimates there are the fewest concealments, namely, with seventy-nine illegitimates out of a thousand births, there were only twelve concealments to a thousand illegitimates. It is absolutely impossible to ascertain the number of prostitutes in London with any degree of certainty, and even a satisfactory approximation is exceedingly difficult. Nevertheless, it is most important to attain as nearly as possible to the actual facts, because without this knowledge no adequate idea can be formed of the vast seedbed of disease and corruption in constant action in a great capital city shedding forth and disseminating its pernicious growth on every side, through channels unknown and unsuspected. Mr. Cahoon, a magistrate of the British metropolis toward the close of the last century, 1796, made an arbitrary enumeration, fixing the number of prostitutes in London at 50,000. Doctors Ryan, Campbell, Mr. Talbot, and others carry their estimate in 1840 to 80,000. Mr. Maine, now Sir Richard Maine, Chief Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police in 1840, made an estimate of the number of regular London prostitutes, which he considers were then 8,000 and upward. The seemingly irreconcilable discrepancy of these numbers is no doubt to be found in the loose terminology of the one party and the technicality of the other. The term prostitute would seem to be best applied to those unhappy females who make prostitution their sole calling, and may therefore be styled regular prostitutes, 
while the larger estimate includes all shades, both regular and occasional or irregular, by which is understood those females with whom prostitution is auxiliary to some reputable calling. We cannot find that any reliable or detailed returns have been made on this branch of public life by the London police, although they must possess peculiar and exclusive powers of preparing them. As long back as 1837, the following rough calculation was made. Well-dressed prostitutes in brothels, first class, 813, second class, 62, third class, 20, for a total of 895. Well-dressed prostitutes walking the streets, first class, 1,460, second class, 79, third class, 73, for a total of 1,612. Prostitutes infesting low neighborhoods, first class, 3,533, second class, 147, third class, 184, for a total of 3,864. First class total, 5,806, second class total, 288, third class total, 277. Overall total, 6,371. On this return, Mr. Maine very probably based his estimate of 1840. Mr. Talbot, the Secretary of the Society for the Protection of Young Females, made the subject one of special inquiry, both personally and with the aid of the local police of the different cities, and although his details are very meagre, he professes to have satisfied himself of the general accuracy of the following figures showing the regular prostitutes in various cities. Edinburgh, 800. Glasgow, 1,800. Liverpool, 2,900. Leeds, 700. Manchester, 700. All parties are, however, agreed in representing that it is impracticable to form anything like a correct estimate of the number of female servants, milliners, and women in the upper and middle classes of society who might properly be classed with prostitutes, or of the women who frequent theatres, barracks, ships, prisons, etc. In 1851, the police of Dublin published in their statistical returns the number of prostitutes in that city, which is the only public or official paper on the point having any appearance of system or accuracy. It is as follows. 1848, brothels, 385, prostitutes, 1,343. 1849, Brothels, 330. Prostitutes, 1,344. 1850. Brothels, 272. Prostitutes, 1,215. 1851. Brothels, 297. Prostitutes, 1,170. This table shows a steady decrease in the number of these women. We are uninformed as to any local causes for this, nor do we know whether it has been balanced by an increase of sly or occasional prostitution. 
from the preceding figures a calculation has been made of the regular prostitutes relatively to the population in the several towns it appears to have been based on the number of inhabitants at the date of the various estimates that of dublin is according to the census of eighteen fifty one the remainder according to that of eighteen forty one proportion of prostitutes to population liverpool number of prostitutes two thousand nine hundred proportion to population to males one to forty three to females one to forty five to total population one to eighty eight manchester number of prostitutes seven hundred proportion to population to males one to one hundred and fifty six to females one to one hundred and sixty nine to total population one to three hundred and twenty five leeds number of prostitutes seven hundred proportion to population to males one to seventy to females one to seventy five to total population one to one hundred and forty five edinburgh number of prostitutes eight hundred proportion to population to males one to one hundred and six to females one to one hundred and thirty to total population one to two hundred and thirty six glasgow number of prostitutes one thousand eight hundred proportion to population to males one to eighty seven to females one to ninety seven to total population one to one hundred and eighty four dublin number of prostitutes one thousand one hundred and seventy proportion to population to males one to one hundred and one to females one to one hundred and nineteen to total population one to two hundred and twenty cork number of prostitutes three hundred and fifty proportion to population to males one to one hundred and thirteen to females one to one hundred and thirty four to total population one to two hundred and forty seven the mean of the above may be taken as a fair representation of the general state of the kingdom the qualifying circumstances to which we have already made allusion as peculiar to each city or district are of course neutralized by the aggregate for example liverpool is a great seaport town and a large number of regular prostitutes would be inevitable there in manchester a large manufacturing city with an immense pauper and factory operative population the trade of prostitution would meet with less profitable custom accordingly we find the proportion much smaller glasgow is both manufacturing and commercial there again the proportion is larger dublin has but little commerce but is a capital city and has a court and a large garrison the combination of all these circumstances is found in london and a fair estimate would be obtained by adding all the preceding proportions together which would give a mean of about one in two hundred and thirty two and this upon the population two million three hundred and sixty two thousand is within a fraction of ten thousand we have seen that mr maine in eighteen forty 
stated his opinion to be that there were about eight thousand regular prostitutes in london qualifying that statement by a profession of total ignorance as to the irregulars who did not make prostitution their only means of living mr maine had peculiar sources of information open to him and it is more than probable that his opinion was well founded from the above calculation from the best sources available to us on this very obscure question we are satisfied to assume ten thousand as at least a probable approximation to the number of regular prostitutes in london mr maine in his statement on this subject mentioned that there were three thousand three hundred and thirty five brothels some authors have attempted to make a calculation of the number of prostitutes on the basis of this number of houses one has assumed three another ten dr wardlaw has fixed upon five women per house without as it appears to us any precise reason for preferring that figure these different opinions may be thus worked out five women in each house would give sixteen thousand six hundred and seventy-five prostitutes four women in each house as in dublin would give thirteen thousand three hundred and forty prostitutes three women in each house as in cork would give ten thousand and five prostitutes we have not been able to obtain mr maine's statement ipsissimus verbis and failing that we may be in error but we should be inclined to think that in his official capacity as a magistrate and in his personal character as a lawyer mr maine would be apt to assign the term brothel indiscriminately to all houses trading in prostitution whether houses of assignation or houses in which prostitutes habitually reside if our reading of the word brothels in this sense be correct it is clear that any attempt to enumerate on the basis of the women attached to each house would be fallacious the expression used by the dublin police is houses frequented or occupied and its ambiguity shows that the authorities there considered the word brothel in the sense given to it by english jurists how does this number of ten thousand regular prostitutes bear on the population in london there are above twenty years of age bachelors male one hundred and ninety six thousand eight hundred and fifty one spinsters female two hundred and forty six thousand one hundred and twenty four husbands three hundred and ninety eight thousand six hundred and twenty four wives four hundred and six thousand two hundred and sixty six widowers thirty seven thousand and sixty four widows one hundred and ten thousand and twenty eight totals male six hundred and thirty two thousand five hundred and forty five female seven hundred and sixty two thousand four hundred and eighteen omitting fractions the proportions would be on bachelors and widowers one in twenty three on total male population one in sixty three on total female population one in seventy six on aggregate population above twenty years of age one in one hundred and thirty nine 
this would establish ten thousand as the nucleus of the prostitution system of london those females who come within the designation of irregular prostitutes are in no respect less prejudicial to the community than the regulars the difference is that they have some other real or nominal occupation which they follow according to circumstances an even moderately correct estimate of their number is little better than guesswork and we therefore think it expedient to put our readers in possession of our own limited means of information and take them on to a conclusion there are so many elements to be taken into the account and the data are so scanty that we only consider ourselves justified in intimating an opinion rather than announcing a satisfactory conclusion to show the extremes to which the doctrine of possibilities may lead in this development of misery and vice we will recur to the statement of some of the london prostitute needlewomen themselves we quote from mayhew's letters to the morning chronicle i now come to the second test that was adopted in order to verify my conclusions this was the convening of such a number of needlewomen and slop workers as would enable me to arrive at a correct average as to the earnings of the class i was particularly anxious to do this not only with regard to the more respectable portions of the operatives but also with reference to those who i had been given to understand resorted to prostitution in order to eke out their subsistence i consulted a friend who is well acquainted with the habits and feelings of slop workers as to the possibility of gathering together a number of women who would be willing to state that they had been forced to take to the streets on account of the low prices for their work he told me he was afraid from the shame of their mode of life becoming known it would be almost impossible to collect together a number of females who would be ready to say as much publicly however it was decided that at least the experiment should be made and that everything should be done to assure the parties of the strict privacy of the assemblage it was arranged that this gentleman and myself should be the only male persons visible on the occasion and that the place of meeting should be as dimly lighted as possible so they could scarcely see or be seen by one another or by us cards of admission were issued privately and to my friend's astonishment as many as twenty-five came on the evening named to the appointed place intent upon making known the sorrows and sufferings that had driven them to fly to the streets in order to get the bread which the wretched prices paid for their labour would not permit them to obtain never in all history was such a sight seen or such tales heard there in the dim haze of the large bare room in which they met sat women and girls some with babies sucking at their breasts others in rags and even those borrowed in order that they might come and tell their misery to the world i have witnessed many a scene of sorrow lately i have heard stories that have unmanned me but never till last wednesday had i heard or seen anything so solemn so terrible as this if ever eloquence was listened to it was in the outpourings of these poor lorn mothers hearts for their base-born little ones 
as each told her woes and struggles and published her shame amid the convulsive sobs of others nay of all present behind a screen removed from sight so as not to wound the modesty of the women who were nevertheless aware of their presence sat two reporters from this journal to take down verbatim the confessions and declarations of those assembled and to them i am indebted for the following report of the statements made at the meeting then follow a series of most heart-rending statements all to the same purport as those quoted in other parts of this work and bearing all the internal evidence of truth the letter concludes with the following sentence they were unanimous in declaring that a large number of the trade probably one-fourth of the whole or one-half of those who had no husbands or parents to support them resorted to the streets to eke out a living accordingly assuming the government returns to be correct and that there are upward of eleven thousand females under twenty living by needle and slop work the numerical amount of prostitution becomes awful to contemplate thus then we have it in evidence that probably one-fourth of all women engaged in sewing occupations for a livelihood are compelled to have occasional recourse to prostitution as their only and compulsory refuge from starvation the number of women engaged in these sewing occupations is enormous according to the census of eighteen fifty one they constitute indeed the main support of the female working population throughout great britain exclusive of domestic servants laundresses and persons employed in agricultural pursuits and in the cotton and linen factories the figures for the three kingdoms are as follows hatters three thousand five hundred straw hat makers twenty thousand five hundred bonnet makers seven thousand six hundred cap makers four thousand seven hundred furriers one thousand nine hundred tailors seventeen thousand six hundred shawl makers three thousand two hundred milliners two hundred and sixty seven thousand four hundred seamstresses seventy two thousand nine hundred stay makers twelve thousand seven hundred stocking makers thirty thousand seven hundred glovers twenty five thousand three hundred case makers thirty one thousand four hundred in all great britain this class numbers one million seven hundred and eighty seven thousand six hundred of whom there are under twenty years of age four hundred and fifty eight thousand one hundred and sixty eight we have not the details of the occupations of london but the proportion which the population of the metropolis bears to that of great britain is about one-ninth one-ninth of the above aggregate would give for london about one hundred and ninety six thousand five hundred women engaged in the sewing trades all of whom it may be assumed are over fifteen we omit from the consideration of female trades those engaged in agricultural pursuits and factories such occupations having comparatively few representatives in the metropolitan districts 
although there are more of them than would be supposed. Laundresses are also omitted, as a very large proportion of them in and about London are, as is well known, married and middle-aged women. But another class to which all writers assign a large amount of prostitution are domestic servants, a body most numerously represented in London. There are in the metropolis 165,100 domestic servants, the peculiarly unprotected character of whom, as a class, may be inferred them from the singular fact that to the workhouse, the hospital, and the lunatic asylum, they supply an immense number of inmates, exceeding that of any other class. Thus, then, are shown two very large figures, amounting together to 361,000, as the stock from which prostitutes to any extent may be procured. Some consideration, perhaps, of the ages of prostitutes and of other circumstances in the condition of the female population may enable us to appreciate the state of the case, without being driven to the necessity of looking on these enormous totals as incapable of reduction. Nature would indicate the period between fifteen and forty-five as the age during which the trade of prostitution must be carried on. Much has been said as to the means used for decoying young children for purposes of prostitution. Of the fact we are perfectly convinced, but should think it of little numerical importance in the aggregate body. The influence of evil communication on the young is of infinitely greater mischief, and the extent of youthful depravity from this cause is very great among the poorer classes, and would oblige us to date the commencing age of prostitution back to twelve years. As to the period of life at which the prostitute's career is terminated, it is contended by some of the English writers that only an infinitesimal proportion reach the age of forty-five in the exercise of their soul and health-destroying trade. Mr. Tate says, In less than one year from the commencement of their wicked career, these females bear evident marks of their approaching decay, and in the course of three years very few can be recognized by their old acquaintance, if they are so fortunate as to survive that period. These remarks apply more especially to those who are above twenty years of age when they join the ranks of the victims. From the average of Edinburgh, Mr. Tate goes on to assume that not above one in eleven survives twenty-five years of age, and taking together those who persist in vice and those who, after having abandoned it, die of diseases which originated from the excesses they were addicted to during its continuance, perhaps not less than a fifth or sixth of all who have embraced this course of sin die annually. Dr. Ryan seems to adopt an opinion that the average duration of life after commencing prostitution is four years. Captain Miller of Glasgow thinks that the average age at which women become abandoned is from fifteen to twenty, and the average duration of women continuing this vice is about five years. The ages of patients admitted into the Lock Hospital at Edinburgh were as follows. Under fifteen years, forty-two. 
from fifteen years to twenty years six hundred and sixty-two from twenty years to twenty-five years one hundred and ninety-nine from twenty-five years to thirty years sixty-nine from thirty years to thirty-five years sixteen from thirty-five years to forty years six over forty years six total one thousand these figures alone would go to make out the presumption that the ages of prostitutes are between twelve and thirty and that eight hundred and sixty-one of a thousand are between fifteen and twenty-five according to the above table nine-tenths of the number at twenty have disappeared at thirty and according to captain miller's opinion that cases of reform and abandonment of their life are very rare the conclusion would be that their career ends in death the duration of prostitution being ascertained we would find the number of women between the ages of fifteen and twenty-five in the whole female population this is one-fifth but the very aged or the very youthful are necessarily excluded from the classes of workwomen and servants of servants indeed there are five and upward under twenty to three above twenty years of age this therefore would indicate very little reduction of the numbers it is reasonable to suppose that some portion of the above are married women having husbands living and if so it is not an unreasonable supposition that their wives are not obliged to have recourse to prostitution in fact the poor creatures themselves seem to imply that immunity the number of wives is about one-third of the whole female population of these wives about one-fourth are employed in trades apart from those of their husbands if we deduct only such a proportion from the sewing women it makes something when we have to deal with such enormous masses we should strike off nearly fifty thousand leaving only one hundred and fifty thousand sewing women there is comfort however in the fact that of these sewing women three-fourths are known to be over twenty years of age and if we only assume one-half instead of three-fourths allowing the other fourth for the difference between twenty and twenty-five years of age it brings our figure down to seventy-five thousand all these deductions are we fear in excess and it must be recollected moreover that the above large sums by no means include all the female occupations of london but merely those classes which either from the temptation incident to their position or from the imperative demands of want and necessity are by competent authority supposed to be peculiarly obnoxious to the risk of prostitution if to this large number of women which we cannot assume at less than two hundred and seventy-three thousand between the ages of twelve and twenty-five be added all the other denizens of a great city unexampled in its magnitude embracing in itself all the peculiarities of all other cities at once a manufacturing a commercial a garrison and a capital city and finally containing the largest population in the world 
one such item being nearly four hundred thousand single females over twelve years of age then indeed the mass of misery wretchedness vice and crime there accumulated appalls the mind seeking to grapple with it and oppresses us with the apprehension that even eighty thousand the highest estimate which has been made is when understood to include all contingencies not an incredible figure englishmen pride themselves and it must be admitted not without reason on their numerous and admirable public charities in this particular direction it would seem that public munificence has not been so liberally displayed as in some others joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons does not we fear apply to minds and hearts of earthly mould people in charitable as in other institutions like to see a return for their investment and notwithstanding the immense field for benevolent labor in prostitution there is a general impression among both the public and officials that it is an irretrievably barren waste and that it is worse than profitless to squander money and time upon it the results which have been achieved would however show that the exertions of philanthropy although not producing so much fruit as in some other quarters have not been entirely vain in reference to these results too it must be borne in mind that the discipline of the various institutions is severe and even repellent a policy ill adapted to ensure a large amount of success the lock hospital is the oldest institution in london for the benefit of lost females and is devoted entirely to the cure of venereal disease it was founded in the year seventeen forty seven and in a century had cured forty five thousand four hundred and forty eight cases the magdalen hospital of london was founded in seventeen fifty eight and up to january eighteen forty four had received six thousand nine hundred and sixty eight females the results were as follows reconciled to their friends or placed in service or other reputable employment four thousand seven hundred and fifty two discharged at their own request one thousand one hundred and eighty two discharged for improper conduct seven hundred and twenty died one hundred and nine sent to other institutions being insane or afflicted with incurable diseases one hundred and seven eloped two remaining in the hospital ninety six total six thousand nine hundred and sixty eight a considerable number of the women when discharged from the institution are under twenty years of age and it is an invariable rule not to dismiss any one unless at her own desire or for misconduct without some means being provided by which she may obtain a livelihood in an honest manner the lock asylum was founded in seventeen eighty seven for the reception of penitent female patients when discharged from the lock hospital and up to march eighteen thirty seven the number of women received was nine hundred and eighty four the results were 
reconciled to their friends, 170. Placed in service or employment, 281. Died, 22. Remaining in asylum, 18. Total, 491. Of the remaining number, many had been sent to their parishes, some had eloped, and some had been expelled for improper conduct. But of several even of these, favorable accounts had been afterward received. Some of them were known to be married and living creditably, and others were earning a living honestly. We have been unable to obtain any account of the operations of this institution since the year 1837. The London Female Penitentiary was instituted in 1807. Of 6,939 applicants, 2,717 were admitted into the house. The results were reconciled and restored to friends, placed in service or otherwise provided for, 1,543. Discharged from various causes, 631. Discharged at their own request, 350. Emigrated, 47. Sent to their parishes, 23. Died, 28. Remaining in penitentiary, 95. Total, 2,717. The Guardian Society was established in 1812, and from that period up to 1843 had admitted 1,932 wretched outcasts to partake of the advantages it offered. The results were restored to their friends, 533, placed in service or satisfactorily provided for, 455, discharged or withdrawn, 843, sent to their parishes, 53, died, 17, remaining in institution, 31, total, 1,932. Besides these institutions, others have been established with similar objects, namely, the British Penitent Female Refuge, the Female Mission, the South London Penitentiary, and one or two others. As compared with the great number of unfortunate women in London, these institutions have effected but a very small amount of good. During seventy-seven years, ending 1835, ten thousand and five females were received within the walls of four of the London asylums, of which number six thousand two hundred and sixty-two, more than three-fifths, were satisfactorily provided for, and 2,980 were discharged for misconduct. Taking the whole of the institutions in London up to that time, it may be fairly estimated that 14 or 15,000 prostitutes have had the opportunity of returning to a virtuous life. Those who, like the Pharisee, content themselves with thanking God that they are not as other men, and even as these unfortunates, are a very impracticable set to deal with, and if such there be who read these pages, we pass them by, and pray for the better health of their souls. The gentle spirits who, imitating a blessed example, 
think it not pollution to extend their sympathy and saving help to publicans and harlots may in the following lines written by a prostitute and found in her deathbed see matter for meditation and ground for the belief that all efforts in the cause of the sinner will not be unsuccessful they were headed verses for my tombstone if ever i should have one the wretched victim of a quick decay relieved from life on humble bed of clay the last and only refuge for my woes a love lost ruined female i repose from the sad hour i listened to his charms and fell half forced in the deceiver's arms to that whose awful veil hides every fault sheltering my sufferings in this welcome vault when pampered starved abandoned or in drink my thoughts were racked in striving not to think nor could rejected conscience claim the power to improve the respite of one serious hour i durst not look to what i was before my soul shrank back and wished to be no more of eye undaunted and of touch impure old heir of age worn out when scarce mature daily debased to stifle my disgust of forced enjoyment in affected lust covered with guilt infection debt and want my home a brothel and the streets my haunt for seven long years of infamy i've pined and fondled loathed and preyed upon mankind till the full course of sin and vice gone through my shattered fabric failed at twenty-two the enormous extent of this evil its deep-rooted causes the difficulty of combating it either by religious arguments legislative provisions or appeals to common sense and physical welfare may well deter the philanthropist from the attempt to purify this stable of augeus but benevolence has accomplished tasks as arduous and we cannot conclude this chapter better than by a short description of the discouragements which attended the first efforts of mrs fry in the reformation of the prostitute felons in newgate and of the blessed results of her indomitable perseverance and immovable faith this admirable woman on her first visit to newgate found the female side of the jail in a condition which no language can describe nearly three hundred women sent there for every gradation of crime and some under sentence of death were crowded together in two small wards and two cells they all slept as well as a crowd of children on the floor at times one hundred and twenty in a ward without even a mat for bedding many of them were nearly naked they were all drunk and her ears were offended by the most terrible imprecations the authorities of the prison of course advised her against going among them they were sure that nothing could be effected she however determined to make the trial she went alone into what she felt was like a den of wild beasts in vain the governor reasoned with her 
she had put her hand to the plough and was not to be turned back in one short month such was the effect of her merely moral agency and religious instruction that she felt herself justified in inviting the lord mayor the sheriffs and several of the aldermen to satisfy themselves by personal investigation of the result of the exertions which she herself and some few lady members of the society of friends who had joined her in the good work had effected thus was conviction forced upon the obtuse intellects of corporate authorities and hence was dated the era of prison reform in england in our own country where the means of diffusing intelligence are unbounded and whose reformatory system for criminals has already claimed the attention of european statesmen and philanthropists there can be no insuperable barrier even in so difficult an undertaking as that to which our labours are directed paraphrasing the opinion of one of the most distinguished essayists of this century we venture to assert that it is impossible that social abuses should be suffered to exist in this country and in this stage of society for many years after their mischief and iniquity have been made manifest to the sense of the country at large end of chapter 25 end of section 34